Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-Centered Encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com And any non-white person can be showcased. All non-white people are showcased to certain degrees. It's just a matter of degree. If you're under the system of white supremacy, you're being showcased in whatever particular uh, task that you are set to do by the white supremacists. Now, if the white supremacists don't have anything to do with what you do, then you're not being showcased. But I don't know of any non-white person on the planet who is not being told what to do and what not to do by the white supremacists. That's what white supremacy means. It means supreme over all non-white people, not some, or not sometimes, but all non-white people, all the time, everywhere, in all areas of activity, within the known universe. So I would go back to this term, held accountable, a term that's used over and over and over again. Held accountable how, in what manner, for doing what? These questions have to be answered. Otherwise, just the term, a cliche term almost, held accountable, what does that mean? Accountable, what do you do? It always comes down to what you do. You're going to hold them accountable. Hold. Hold them accountable. Hold them how? and hold them for doing what that everybody else isn't doing too in one way or another if they're classified as non-white. One prisoner of war holding another prisoner of war accountable while both of them are in prison? Hold them accountable how for doing what? One prisoner is sent to 
uh, clean up the prison yard, another prisoner is sent to clean up the cells. Another prisoner is sent to paint the warehouse. So which one of these prisoners are you going to hold accountable for doing what? Painting the warehouse? Cleaning up the yard? Cleaning out the cell? Because the person who is running the prison is assigning all of these positions. So is each one of the prisoners going to hold all the other prisoners accountable for being prisoners? These questions need to be answered before anybody makes a move, if you follow the logic. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday, November 24th, 2016. So I have been told, uh, and if I may take a moment uh, on this day, uh, five years ago to the date, November 24th, 2011, the late Dr. Francis Cress Welsing was a guest on this here program, The Cows, uh, to discuss this very uh, issue. Uh, I, re- I posted the link to the archive. You can go back and check it out. She had a lot of uh, great information. I uh, just thought that was uh, extremely important. I know a lot of people have talked uh, almost a year since her passing uh, about her dedication to solving this problem and healing black people uh, along the way. I think she really invested decades in trying to heal and educate black people about racism, white supremacy, and black self-respect. Uh, but she talked a lot about those concepts. I would encourage people to go back and check it out uh, and just appreciate um, the fact she was here for quite a few what they call uh, holidays uh, over the years where she just she did not take breaks. She was very serious about solving this problem. I uh, just wanted to recognize that. Uh, our guest for the program for today, he's been a guest on our program uh, many times uh, throughout the years. We've discussed some of his outstanding scholarship. Uh, he was one of the folks who pitched in and, and gave, I think, outstanding commentary uh, back in same year, 2011, on the London riots. Uh, folks recall after Mark Duggan was shot and killed and then... Uh, They were trying to ask questions and get additional information. A young black teenage girl was shoved uh, while they were trying to get answers from the police. And then things kind of uh, spiraled out from there. But uh, Mr. Grant came in, gave great commentary on that. I thought he also was on Cree's program to talk about those issues, Uh, many other concepts. In fact, I had a great chuckle today. I went to the coffee shop as I was coming in. The last time Mr. Grant was with us, we discussed some of his literature on economics. And he talked about a part of that is tomorrow is Black Friday, and you go out and you spend all this money on nonsense and just further strengthen racists economically. And they are already today where I am. It is 1.07 p.m., right? Very early in the day. They are already lined up outside of shopping malls, ready to go and elbow and knee people in the groin and pepper spray folks to snatch, you know, some Christmas item at a discount or what have you. It is already starting. Uh, That is the madness of the system that we're trying to solve. Uh, But if folks want to get additional information, you can go to his website. Uh, Check it out. It should be linked in the description for the program. Uh, Houseofknowledge.org.uk The address again, houseofknowledge.org.uk. You can see some of his outstanding books, some of which we've discussed on the program before, including Africans and why Willie, excuse me, 
Niggers, Negroes, Black People, and Africans. Also, different book, Why Willie Lynch Must Die. Uh, also has a more recent book, Saving Our Sons, talking about the problems afflicting black males worldwide in the system of white supremacy. Pleasure to have him on the program with us today, live from the UK, Mr. Paul Ifaomi Grant. Mr. Grant, you with us, sir? Greetings. Gracias and review and greetings to the listeners. For sure. Thank you so much for uh, sharing a bit of your time getting back with us. Mr. Grant was just doing quite a bit of traveling and uh, just dropped back in and got home, got himself settled and hopped on the air. So he also demonstrating uh, his dedication to trying to solve this problem and share some of his views with us. Uh, This for him evening, for us afternoon, I guess. Uh, For people who this might be their first time hearing from you, anything that you think would be constructive for them to know about who you are, the work that you do? Um, I I think... um the quickest way would be just to go to the House of Knowledge website in terms of they can get some um, some background information. Um, I, th- I think that's probably the, the quickest way. I mean, hopefully, if they've um, they can still access the archive of your shows, um, they can listen to when I've previously been on the show. I mean, I'd simply say I was born in London. Um, I'm 50 years old. Um, parents are from Jamaica, um, and uh, yeah, I've lived in the UK all my life. Um, and I live now in the part of the UK called the Midlands, a region, central part of the country. Um, and I've written seven books and I, I uh, produce a newsletter which uh, called The Navigator, which hopefully people find useful. Um, and I've also made a few videos as well, which is mainly about um, how African people can solve our problems and uh, you know, overthrow this system of white supremacy. Right on. House of Knowledge. Dot org dot uk again it should be linked uh, in the description for the program but if you need it house of knowledge dot org dot uk um, we will proceed and folks can go back he's been on the program with us many times before discussing our definition of, of white supremacy his perspective and and so forth uh, is it is it accurate to say you mr grant as a black male that you are subject to the system of white supremacy and when i say subject to white supremacy i mean uh at any time in any area of people activity uh white people individuals who classify themselves as white they have control over some aspect of your life in any way shape form that you have to comply with what they say what they want you to do is that true in any way shape form oh yeah in in many many aspects of um of my life yeah absolutely okay Right on. Always appreciate that. <laughs> I was going to admit, I, me too, also a victim of racism. Um, how do you, I know it's, it's not a holiday per se in, in your part of the world. You all don't do the Thanksgiving uh, thing over there. Um, how do you handle holidays in general, particularly holidays that reinforce a lot of the anti-black white supremacist notions that I think you and I both are trying to solve? How do you handle that as a black parent? Um, well, it, I suppose I'd say with great difficulty, um, because, um, most of the people I know, um, adhere to, or, or, or participate in these, um, European holy days, uh, or holidays. Um, and so it, it, it's, um, it's, it's difficult. Um, I, I mean, obviously I try to, I do encourage people not to, for example, at, at um, Christmas, I, I think if you get time off work, it's good to send, spend it with people you care about. But I encourage people that you can do that without spending lots of money. 
um, and you don't have to get into, you know, all the kind of um, trappings and silliness that's associated with it. I don't participate in, uh, I don't buy people Christmas cards. I tell them not to buy me Christmas cards. I don't buy people Christmas presents. I tell them not to buy me Christmas presents. Um, I don't do Easter, um, you know, and, and, and basically I just um, encourage people not to not to get caught up in it. I mean, they do, the, they've, they've, tried, they've um, exported from the US Black Friday. So even though we don't have Thanksgiving, they have this Black Friday thing, which obviously is just another way of, boosting uh, retail sales and people are well into it um, they've taken halloween now i mean when i was a child halloween was not a holiday that um was of any significance in the uk uh, people used to actually um it wasn't a holiday but people used to more sort of mark bonfire night which is november the 5th which is to do with um guy fawkes's reputed attempt to blow up the house of parliament and so there was all sorts of rituals and things and obviously fireworks displays um, all associated with bonfire night but um <clears throat> i think they realized that there was more potential to sell more things if halloween was brought over so in the last i'd say probably maybe 10 years halloween has just become a huge thing in the uk just like it is in the us but it was never a holiday that was um had any significance in um uh in in britain at, at all so it, it, but but you see people get caught up in it. I mean, for example, I, I always put a sign on our door. We say that um, basically telling people not children not to knock on our door for trick or treating, um, you, you know, for for Halloween. So we just say that we don't participate. We put a little sign on the door, um, and so nobody bothers us on on that day. And we've never um, participated in Halloween, um, you know, with our with our children. But uh, it's difficult because so many people participate in. Um, Christmas and some of these other um, European holy days. Hmm. Did your children, did they, like, how did they respond? Did, were they upset? Like, you know, our friends are doing all of this. We want to participate. We want to get gifts, a tree. And like, I don't know if you get into all the decorations and everything with Christmas or even a lot of the other holidays. They do it for Halloween and stuff, too. Did they, like, push back? Did they get upset about this? Um, well, I, I think we, I mean, we've never... Um, allowed them to participate in um in in halloween or had anything to to, to do with that um I, I mean my wife is more into christmas than i am i'm not into it at all um so you know it's part of the uh, i suppose the compromises of married life sometimes that sometimes you don't agree on something so i i just kind of don't participate i don't put anything up i don't buy anything i don't i don't get involved in um in in terms of actually promoting christmas Miss at all. Uh, so, I mean, they understand, um, you know, my perspective, and you know, all I hope is that when they get, um, you know, they get all, um, see what I'm, what I'm to, what I'm trying to explain to them. So, but you know, it's 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 um, it's, it's difficult because. It's, Um, that people don't even actually stop and question what they're doing, really. And also just a huge waste of money that happens and outflow from our, um, our social community, you know, into the, um, into the European community, the amount of money that flows out um, that could be used for much more purposes, which, which really is just a, a crying shame. Because in, in some of my previous newsletters, I've done an, an analysis of Christmas, how much people spend. I mean, I think it's about on average per adult it's over 500 pounds per person i think 
Um, now, even if we, as having lower income, spent even 400, if you were to, you know, work out 400 pounds per adult and times it by, you know, in the UK, maybe, I don't know, 800,000 adults or however many they are excluding children. And in the US, if you took that by, I don't know, 25 million or however many adults you've got out of your population of, which I don't know, could be anywhere between 40 to 50 million people. If you worked all that, that's a huge amount of money that's literally poured down the drain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Matter of fact, uh, the book we discussed when Mr. Grant was with us in 2012, Buy Now, Pay Later, How Debt is Used to Create Financial Slavery. We talked about a lot of those issues uh, in more detail, even around holidays specifically. Uh, That was what I was chuckling about coming in, uh, preparing for the program uh, earlier today. Uh, And you talk about a lot of these issues. Again, you can go check out the website, houseofknowledge.org.uk. You mentioned uh, your navigator uh, newsletter, uh, which folks can subscribe to. You can put your email in and, you know, you'll just, you'll get it uh, in your inbox. You can check out uh, new information from Mr. Uh, Paul Devami Grant. Uh, you had a newsletter earlier this year. Uh, certainly the entire world was talking about the presidential election here in the United States uh, and Donald Trump uh, and now president-elect uh, Donald Trump. You had a report that came out uh, in the spring of this year uh, titled Why Most Africans in America Deserve a Trump presidency uh, if you can give kind of our listeners kind of a, a, a short synopsis uh, of what the main point or points you were trying to get across in this piece uh, specifically what problem you were trying to solve with this essay uh, I, I think I was trying to um, highlight the futility of the um, well, one the the presidential selection process um, to certainly national um, politics in in the US of um, this kind of dichotomous relationship that people have in their minds between um, Democrats and Republicans um, to demonstrate that Africans have shown incredible loyalty to the Democratic Party. I mean, I'm sure most of your listeners will be aware that um, radical Republicans who who were pushing for abolition um, and it was actually radical Republicans who were suggesting that there should be reparations for Africans, you know, the whole $40, um, um, sorry, 40 acres a mule, and um, some people say $100, some people say $200. They were suggesting that each um, freed African should get as some form of reparations. And the Africans voted Republican for probably 50, 60 years after the end of, um, well, the official so-called end of enslavement, um, because even what they call chattel slavery didn't really end until um, 1945 at least. Um, And there's a useful book called Slavery by Another Name, um, which is by a European author called Douglas. People can get it on Amazon secondhand, and I think it's well worth reading because he actually gives good details about how Africans were re-enslaved in the South after, 1863 in turpentine mines, coal mines, steel mines, um, and various other places, and at least 150,000 were re-enslaved in chattel slavery. Um, But yeah, so so Africans were very loyal to the Republican Party for many years and switched maybe in the 1920s, 1930s at that time, switched en masse to the Democratic Party and have been steadfast and loyal voting for the Democratic Party ever since. And I suppose I was highlighting um, what on earth have they got for all those votes? I mean, 
I think Barack Obama got 93% of Africans voted for him, or those who voted. Hillary Clinton got 88%. Um, and um, I suppose it was highlighting this um, this idea that if, if, if you operate on an emotional basis and if you um, give something without negotiating first or bargaining for some 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 form of um, recompense or or something in return for what you're giving, then you get nothing. Um, and there's no other group of people in the United States who are so, no other demographic who are so completely loyal to one political party or another. Most will Oh, hang on swap, one second, switch. Mr. Grant. We uh, got disconnected from our program line for some reason. I'm going to add us back uh, right now. My apologies. I just want to make sure we don't get uh, lose out. Uh, okay, adding us back right now. Access code accepted. This conference is being recorded. Q&A session started. My apologies, folks. We got disconnected uh, from the live line for some reason, but we are back now with Mr. Grant. Uh, my apologies, sir. You, you were in your response. You were saying about black people being the one group that is uh, so loyal uh, in terms of their political vote. Uh, and then we got disconnected. Yeah. See, yeah. And, and I, I was, I was, um, I was, uh, highlighting that this is a sign of um, deep political naivety and ignorance about how how the world works and how politics works and also what politics is. Politics isn't just about voting. Politics is about power and decision-making. And if you look throughout the history of the United States, there's virtually no gain that um, Africans have made that has been due to voting. They've been due to um, some form of protest either non-violent or violent protest, some form of disturbance to the wider society that led to a concession. Voting has, has yielded virtually nothing for, um, for African people in, in the United States, and it, um, and it continues to yield nothing. And yet, um, and I think President Obama was a classic example in terms of the African made no demands on him. They simply um, worshipped him, almost you could say, <laughs> simply because he had an African father, and that was that was sufficient in terms of um, loyally lining up behind him and voting for him. And of course, he gave us nothing. Every other constituency asked for something. You know, gays asked for gay marriage and got that, and and various other things. Hispanics asked for you know go soft on um, illegal immigration, and they got some concessions. Everyone at least asked for some concessions. Africans asked for nothing and then get nothing, and so. I suppose what I was trying to point I was trying to make is that uh, I knew that Trump presented as the um, the terrible bogeyman um, and, and he's a very unpleasant individual. Um, but in, in, in reality, um, Democrats have done terrible things to the African community in the United States. I mean, Bill Clinton's a great example, um, a man inducted into the Arkansas and American Hall of Fame. <laughs> um, I mean, bizarre and incredible if you think about it. And yet, he incarcerated for his president during two terms. He incarcerated more African people than any president in the history of the United States. And he really um, supercharged the prison industrial complex um, with, with his Omnium Crime Bill in 1996 and three strikes and you're out. Uh, and people also forget that he returned to Arkansas um, during presidential um, campaign against George W. Bush, so George Bush Sr., 
uh, to sign the death penalty on an African man who was um, mentally disabled, had a mental age, I think, of 12. And he did that um, to demonstrate to Europeans that he was going to be, quote unquote, tough on crime, which we know for um, tough on Africans. Uh, and that was a re- in response to the Willie Halton campaign that George Bush had run against Na- Michael Dukakis in 1988. He'd um, used the image of Willie Halton, who was convicted of pre- previously been convicted of rape, and then had been released on a prison furlough for a weekend. Uh, out on his furlough, he'd committed another sort of um, serious crime and also a rape. And George W. Bush used him to as the sign of in America and also to show that Michael Dukakis was soft on crime and so Bill Clinton conscious of this made a decision to go and uh, sentence a, uh, a man who with very little capacity to the death penalty so when you look at the things that have already been done to Africans by democratic presidents um, and yet you see the kind of knee-jerk loyalty then that, that's why I kind of use the, the provocative phrase that they deserve of Trump presidency because there is very little more that Trump that the Democrats haven't already done. Uh, and I think it's this, it's this um, failure to understand that and this failure to understand that basically the Democrats and Republicans are just two sides of the coin. Um, they, they really are. They're not enemies at all. They're just friends having a little bit of an argument about how you quite things. But they're two sides of the same coin. Um, and um, that becomes clear when you, when you remember that Donald Trump um, previously has given donations to Bill Clinton and to Hillary Clinton for okay. political campaigns. Let and you've got in. photos of him. Let me have yeah, in right sorry. there. Yeah, let me have in right there. Uh, that's uh, more than <laughs> the uh, explanation of, of the piece in which you were uh, attempting to solve. I did want to make sure that statement, uh, there did seem to be some wide generalizations about black people in the U.S., particularly when you say things like black people worshiping President Obama, I know as a U.S. citizen, uh, I have heard a host of black people uh, criticize President Obama for eight years, uh, probably going to be even after he leaves the White House, uh, even whole cottage industries, I would say, of black people uh, criticizing President Obama or upset because some of the exact things that you articulated in your essay. So there did seem to be some, at least to me, some major uh, generalizations that might be misrepresenting uh, or presenting black people in the United States as a monolith uh, that I think is not accurate. Uh, Also, for me, it was... I'm not sure how to process some of the times when you were saying President Obama did not give anything for us when it seems like in the context of the conversation you're talking about black people specifically who live in the U.S., which is not you, but you were using the term us as though you also were left out of getting goodies that would have been intended for African-Americans, but you are not an African-American. Am I misreading or can you help my understanding on that? No, no, you're not misreading. When I use the term us, I just in terms of demonstrating connection to African people around the world. I don't mean I'm an African-American. Um, so I, I, I view when uh, an African-American is police, I still view that as something that impacts on me um, because I feel a connection to um, African people in the United States. I don't mean myself personally benefiting from what what. Um, so I hope that clarifies that point. Um, so when I say us, I'm talking about African people in the United States, but for being connected to them. In terms of relations, of course, yes, I'm using broad generalizations. Um, but but I, I, what I mean by that is demonstrating what the majority are demonstrating, and the majority of Africans have demonstrated um, an unswerving loyalty to a 
bummer. The number of critics is, in comparison to the overall population, is tiny. When you look at polls, talk. I mean, for example, there have been polls which show that um, um, African Americans are, m- are the most optimistic. Um, consti- well, certainly during um, President Obama's uh, two terms, the most optimistic group of people about their economic fortunes, even though they've been the biggest losers economically of any single group. So when you see people as an overall, there's obviously people who who uh, dissent from that. Well, when you see people who have views which are completely at odds with reality, then you realise that there's something very worrying going on. And I and I and I've actually had. Um, I remember when President Obama was running for um, office, and there were. Um, significant, notable national figures who are supposed to be in the so-called conscious community who were um, talking about him as if he, met, he represented some significant positive change and using the most strange and um, unevidenced arguments you could possibly think of. And yet nowadays I don't hear any of those people saying anything about the things they were saying eight years ago. Because well, what even, they were saying in my... Even, hang, hang on one second. I just, I just wanted to hop in really quick. Um, I think that's significant as well. If you've seen a change, that at least to me suggests, number one, that there are a significant portion of black people who have, even if they did not have an accurate understanding of what President Obama being in the White House and a system of white supremacy would mean for them, it seems like they have a better understanding now, uh, which is why I'm saying to me it just seems like some wide generalizations that are disparaging of black people who live in the U.S. specifically um, that, you know, I would say, as I just stated, they do not present black people in a constructive manner and I think overrepresents the amount of black people who were very critical or underrepresents the amount of black people who were very critical of President Obama, even if they maybe did not start out that way uh, back in 2009 when he was inaugurated. Um, Specifically, you have a sentence in the report where you say, since the civil rights era in the 1950s and 1960s, Africans in the U.S. have made social contact and gaining acceptance from European Americans. Their number one and almost only political priority. Uh, What's your evidence to support this? Well, I I just want to go back on the point you previously made. I I simply don't see large numbers of Africans who... um, who are not supportive of, of or, or who are significantly critical of President Obama. I still see people on sites which are supposedly, or WhatsApp or various places which are supposedly um, looking for solutions, posting photos saying, thank you, mom, thank you, sir, President Obama. Um, they don't actually say what they're thanking him for, um, but they're thanking him anyway. So that's just my take. I mean, in, I've not seen any years of... Um, um, data produced of polls of African-Americans. So I won't say I've got polling evidence, but I just simply don't see widespread dissent amongst um, And that's one, like, I, that if I would hop in right here, that's what I mean. Like, for me, it's it seems very problematic because I live here, and so I see this every day. This is not a one-time thing, and I see this every day in mainstream publications where you have people like ta Coates, uh, who have not just on a one-time basis, but repeatedly, and ta Coates is kind of a well-known figure, even though he's a black male, who has repeatedly pointed out and been critical of President Obama, specifically his 2013 speech at Morehouse College, where it was not just ta Coates. It was a large number of black people. And this is in the New York Times, mainstream white-dominated publications, where black people articulated their frustrations, critiques of him. You had other people who 
were displeased about his program, uh, My Brother's Keeper, because it exclusively focused on black males. Uh, there were a host of people. Kimberly Crenshaw, uh, she's a professor in California, black female, criticized him for that policy, not including black females. I mean, Cornell West has made an industry of this almost every time he's on top. So, I mean, there are lots of black people. I could name many, many more, and even people that you say from the quote-unquote conscious community. I could give a long list of people, many of them who've been guests on our program and listeners who have been very critical uh, of President Obama. So I just I think it is it is grossly underrepresenting the amount of critique that black people that live in the United States have offered. And you might not see that because you don't live here. Do you think that could be the case? It could be, but I'm not really referring to um, professors and um I didn't I'm say talking it was about what I see. Lessons. I said people, no, 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 no. the same I'm, thing that you I'm, mentioned. I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm talking about the, what, what I see from because I, I, I know I've a few people in the US and just what I see being shared and the, the message I see coming across about President Obama and also the voting patterns for his two elections. Well, um, don't lead me to believe that there's um, as much criticism as there should be of what he has or hasn't been doing presents so that's my um, that's my concern and i don't think it's anything unique to africans in the united states i think this pattern of behavior um in the in, and in and in many other parts of the world i mean people were lauding his presidency in africa and various other caribbean and various other places uh, and again without any specific why it was something that should be celebrated that's important as well i didn't i don't want to get bogged down uh into this because if we don't agree on that particular point that's fine. I've made my view. You've made your point. My other uh, question was, uh, you said in the report specifically, since the civil rights era in the 1950s and 1960s, Africans in the U.S. have made social contact and gaining acceptance from European Americans their number one and almost only political priority. Where is the evidence to support that notion? Um, well, it, well it, it, it's, it's my opinion. I mean, something like seek, seeking social contact is not necessarily a, a sort of empirically um, kind of idea. Um, I suppose what I mean by that is when you look at what happened in terms of um, the decimation of um, black-owned businesses in the the um, you know with the process of what you call subintegration, um, you see a process whereby I, I mean that's where the phrase the white man's ice. The idea that Africans would rather buy something as simple as European vendor than, than an African vendor because people became obsessed with the idea just because you can go into a, a, a white or patronize a white business that somehow you should. The idea of wanting to bars was fine, but then the idea that somehow you must um, patronize or be in social contact with Europeans, the whole push for um, integrated schools um, rather than actually having um, better spending on infrastructure and schools which are overwhelmingly African, which was where most African children were being um, were being educated. The whole push for school busing um, you know, was all predicated on African inferiority and the fact that African children could only learn effectively if they sat next to a European. So you see you, you see many instances where Africans are predominantly, and even, again, President Obama is an absolute, uh, absolutely epitomizes this whole mentality, whereby we've got lots of African um, or black presidents and prime ministers all around the world, um, and people aren't really particularly excited when each one gets, um, gets uh, elected. But I can remember the huge excitement when Obama won, 
one of the primaries, I can't remember if it was Iowa, one of the early primaries where it was 90, something like 90 or percent um, white voters. And people were over the moon because here was a black man who'd won in a place which was overwhelmingly white. And that was the excitement that white people had voted for him. Not that he represented anything significant, but simply that white people had voted for him. And that was a symbol that assigned to me that the, the obsession is about acceptance accept us as human, accept us as equal, whatever that means. And that, to me, has, has been a, a constant theme within politics, not only in the United States, in this country, anywhere where Africans are in a minority and are feeling um, that there's some degree been socially and economically excluded, the priority becomes to be able to walk like, think like, talk like, and act like a, a European and to have as much social contact as possible. Hmm. I don't... Uh... I don't think that would be an accurate statement uh, of our black people living in the U.S., our number one and almost only political priority, although I certainly can see the logic in a system of white supremacy of why any victim of white supremacy in the world uh, would want to get, quote-unquote, acceptance or validation from racists. Uh, They can do a lot of damage, so if you can stay in their good graces, that makes uh, perfectly logical sense uh, if you're being dominated. Uh, but I think the number one priority I would state it has just been to avoid being mistreated by racism. I think that's been the number one priority. And I think black people here have responded in a variety of ways uh, in dealing with that. Um, I wanted to read a different portion from the report and get your response. This is where you're talking about President Obama uh, and how he failed black people. He didn't really do anything to help solve any of our problems. Are uh, you right? President Obama has continued and expanded the use of executive signing orders despite being a constitutional lawyer and has stood idly by whilst African men are slaughtered by the forces of white supremacy in and out of uniform. All he offers Negroes are renditions of Al Green songs, which they lap up like the contemptible cowards they are. Uh, What do you mean when you say cowards? Well, I suppose what I mean by that is when your children, uh, children, I don't mean their specific biological children, but when the younger generation in the main, it's mainly younger uh, people, though there have been obviously people in their 50s, only satellite, I think was in their 60s. Um, the um, person in Charlotte, Charleston, who was shot in his back, I can't remember the name, five times, he was in his 50s. Walter Scott. But when the generation, Walter Scott, yeah, when younger generation are being murdered in cold blood, being videoed, and you either consciously and deliberately or subconsciously um, ignore that and ignore the fact that a person who you are lauding praise on will do nothing to even attempt to, to institute any form of justice. I view that as a form of cowardice um, because you're failing your children, the next generation, not even prepared to stand up for the lives of those people you claim to care, to, uh, care about. So that's why I view it as being contemptible, uh, because people can insight what's going on and they can see that um, a person who they are literally saying is, is so important, inspirational, is doing nothing to address that. In fact, he introduced, I think, uh, he signed a police protection bill, <laughs> um, which is a strange irony um, in the United States. And yet people stand by and... Um, They'll accepting the applaud lectures, um, which are telling us fathers, and yet they won't do anything to protect the, the lives, which is the most important thing you can protect for somebody um, when they're being taken away 
in plain sight and in cold. And I don't put him as any different to any other president, but I simply emphasize that he's a continuation of a pattern, and I'm sure it will continue under Trump as well. What I guess specifically beyond this context, um, or I wouldn't even go with that, the system of white supremacy, is that terrorism against black people? Sorry? Is the system of white supremacy terrorism against black people? Yes, that's a central part of it. But violence and terror has always been a central part of how um, how um, white domination is affected. Okay. So if white supremacy, white domination uh, has been successfully and worldwide affected and you yourself are still subject to that system, uh, if that is terrorism and you have black people, perhaps in wide numbers around the world, who are fearful, cowardly in how they deal with white people, is that surprising? It's not, it's not necessarily surprising, but it needs to be noted and commented on. If, some, if a black person, a black victim of racism, if they are fearful, as you say, cowardly, uh, with regards to racism, white supremacy, and dealing that problem, should they be reprimanded, admonished? It, it, it should be commented on, because otherwise you, you're in a system where you, um, you never can change. If you simply accept that um, um, fear, even if the fear is um, uh, degree warranted, is sufficient reason not to do anything, then we may as well, well just uh, switch off our computers and uh, and just watch uh, comedy shows and, and uh, sport. Hmm. Okay. Because cur- cur- the absence of fear, tr- courage is overcoming fear, or acting in the face of fear. Hmm. Do you think uh, white people, I guess I'll I'll ask these as two separate questions, do you think individuals who classify themselves as white, racists, do you think they have successfully uh, devoted a lot of time and energy to making sure that black people are confused, black people worldwide are confused about what white supremacy is and how it works? Yes, yeah, I think that's fairly self-evident. Okay. Uh, do you think it's difficult to act courageously uh, when you are facing a powerful and violent foe, uh, when you are confused about the nature of that enemy? It depends on the nature of the situation. Sometimes it doesn't require a lot of coverage just to speak out against something. Not ask to um, put themselves um, day in, day out in the face of bullets. We're just asking sometimes for people to do small, small, tiny things. Um, so, like what um, specific? Can you give us an example? Can you give us an example, a small, tiny thing, like what specifically? Well, for example, to, to call Obama out about his um, response to police violence, to call out local officials when you elect people or when people are um, campaigning to run for city councils, etc., to demand that they actually have some, um, some, some public policy which is stated publicly before you support them, which states what they'll let you do to address the issues that concern you. That's not hugely courageous that's just acting in your own self-interest and a lot of what i'm talking about is acting in your own self-interest or at least maybe not your personal self-interest but at least the group self-interest so that requires minor requires moral courage more than physical courage hmm. are there any other uh black people on the planet black people specifically outside the united states who 
deserve uh, continued subjugation to racism, white supremacy based on their inaction in solving this problem or their cowardice. All around the world, people behave in different ways. Some people are courageous morally. Some people are courageous physically. Some people are courageous in neither way. Some people are courageous some of the time. Some people are courageous most of the time. Some people are courageous hardly any of the time. I, I, I just personally think that we have to take personal responsibility for our actions and stop um, just relying on um, the, the current reality as an excuse to do nothing. Otherwise, we'll never change reality. Otherwise, we may as well say we'll, nothing will change until Europeans decide to change the way in which they operate, which I don't think is a very sensible way of moving forward. Hmm. That wasn't um, my question. I'll restate it. The, the question again was, are there any other groups of black people on the planet outside the United States who deserve uh, continued subjugation, mistreatment in the system of white supremacy for their confusion in action and dealing with the problem uh, and or cowardice in resolving the issue? Uh, 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 I don't think that all black people are confused. I, I think that <laughs> I don't accept that, that all black people are confused. I think like water, sometimes people choose the path of least resistance. So sometimes people make an active choice to do things because it makes things easier for them, even though they know it's probably not the um, ethically or morally the right thing to do. So I don't think people are refusing to do things because they are confused. I think people make choices in life. Sometimes those choices are coerced. Sometimes those choices are ones which they, where they have different options. So I think the confusion part um, suggests that all the black people are all confused all the time. I don't accept that. Oh, that's great, but that has nothing to do with the question I asked, but that's twice that I asked, and you didn't answer the question either time, so I'm going to just move to my next question. Um, you are familiar with Neely Fuller, Jr. Uh, and Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, uh, their work at, at some level. Um, both of these black people who have been working for years to try to solve this problem of white supremacy, they both have endorsed a list of behaviors that they think would be helpful uh, for black people to solve the problem of white supremacy. One of those includes uh, to stop name-calling, specifically to stop uh, name-calling black people, but I've heard both Mr. Fuller and Dr. Welsing even say not to name-call anyone. Uh, do, is this something that you practice, and if not, why? Um... No, not necessarily all the while. Um, I think people should be called out on their behavior when they behave badly. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Does uh, name-calling other black people, uh, does that help you solve any problems related to racism, white supremacy, and if so, which problems? Um, pointing out people's bad behavior, I think, is important because it clarifies who you can work with and who you can't. I don't, I'm not of this view that um, all people are going to work together all the time because people have different views of the world. Some people are quite happy with the system as it is and would gladly support it. So I don't think there's anything wrong with um, highlighting people who are acting against um, of black people. Okay, I didn't... I didn't and I, and I, what that does is allows people to decide where they want to stand on issues and who they want to stand... Okay. Uh, that, again, did not address the question that I asked. Uh, the question that I asked specifically was, um, has name-calling other black people, has that helped you to solve any problems related to white supremacy racism? And if so, which problems? I didn't ask about calling out, quote-unquote, bad behavior. I asked about name-calling specifically. 
You have to clarify what you mean by name calling. If you say somebody like Clarence Thomas works against the interests of the group and um, is interest, you can call that name call. I don't know if you consider that to be name calling. What I consider to be name calling, so calling someone a title, uh, any title other than what they have indicated that they want to be called. So if we were, let's, we'll take Gus. So we were saying Gus uh, is a coon. Gus is a sambo. Gus is uh, a sellout. Gus is a boot-licking Negro. All of these are terms that I have never uh, classified myself as, so I would classify all of that as name-calling. So calling any black person any name other than how they want to be called, how they have identified themselves, that's name-calling. Then... I think it can serve a, a useful purpose in terms of moving people, identifying people who need to be isolated and not supported. And in that way, you can actually mobilize people to, to work to solve problems. So whether they be political problems or economic problems or whatever they may be. For example, it might be about someone from office who's doing something active against the interests of the group. And if you identify the things that this person does in their character, then if that, if that produces a positive result, then... Hmm, okay. Has um, name calling other black people, like in an effort to isolate them and point out how they are doing things that are not in our self-interest, uh, has that proven successful in neutralizing this problem and stopping future black people from engaging in these behaviors? Uh, I, I didn't say that it would, that in itself will be very, really a single silver bullet that solves any complex problem. So I think it's... Um, it's not a helpful question to pose it in the sense of that this one thing would solve the whole system. I mean, obviously, that it wouldn't do that. So this multifaceted response as you produce to any complex problem. Oh, certainly. I believe I did include help. Uh, this name-calling other black people in this effort of isolating them and making sure people are aware of their uh, non-constructive efforts, has that been helpful in this effort of solving problems, ultimately the big problem of ending racism? Sometimes I think it can be. So May not be, but sometimes. Hmm, okay. Um, the system of white supremacy worldwide, do you think it encourages uh, just kind of a general contempt for the way that we think about, talk to uh, black people, talk about and talk to black people worldwide? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, you had uh, an audio clip, again, and people can sign up when you go to houseofknowledge.org.uk. Uh, you can sign up. Uh, he has the newsletter. Uh, this report that we're discussing right now uh, is a part of that uh, Navigator newsletter, uh, but it's also a podcast format, so you can check all of that out. You can download the podcasts and listen, or you can read depending on how you, you know, best uh, process information. Uh, but you did a podcast uh, earlier this year uh, where you were talking about uh, some of the issues uh, around uh, Brexit and the shootings that took place in July, right? So people remember like uh, Philando Castile where they just indicted uh, the officer. So we had Philando Castile, uh, we had Alton Sterling, we had the shooting of the officers in Dallas and then the shooting that happened in Baton, uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So Mr. Paul, if I grant on his podcast, he was talking about uh, all of these uh, different shootings and he was specifically talking about uh, the notion of uh, forgiveness. Uh, we'll listen to the clip and then we'll uh, continue to hear uh, from our guest, Mr. Paul, if I'll be Grant joining us live from the UK. And I will uh, remind our listeners, uh, you can feel free uh, to dial in if you have a question for Mr. Grant. He won't be here for the full uh, two hour program. He'll be here for like 90 minutes. So if you have a question, you can feel free to dial in the number to dial 
5640 and the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. Uh, so this is a sound clip, uh, Mr. Paul Ifaomi Grant, this summer, uh, talking about the different shootings that were happening here in the United States, context of white supremacy. And if you think about what's happened recently with the killings of police officers in Dallas and Baton Rouge, I've been waiting, I don't know if you've been waiting, to hear the forgive, forgive, forgive talk emanating from the families of the police officers who were slain in Dallas and Baton Rouge. Have you noticed that we haven't heard any of that um, rhetoric um, even before they're cold, as we do with Africans, where normally the Africans' families, the African man after he's been murdered, his families will be wheeled out and they'll, um, they'll sing songs um, about the Lord and how they put their trust in the Lord and how they forgive the murderer and how they want, um, as in the case of Dylan Roof, even before he'd been properly arraigned, how they wanted him to come to their church if he, if he could, if he wasn't locked up. And you hear this shameful coonery um, and then normally what will happen they'll start saying it's not about race it's not about race and that's normally a precursor to getting their large compensation check and it, it's, it's shameful to have to even think and say these things um, but effectively before their sons or uncles or partners are even cold in the ground um, they'll be singing the song that will get them the largest payout and it's shameful that the lives of African men mean so little to their own family members that they'll sell out their sons and also sell out their group in order to maximise the paycheck. But you won't hear that from the families of the murdered police officers, will you? Context of white supremacy. Did you, I just wanted to, to clarify, did you actually hear any of the victims from the Mother Emanuel shooting in South Carolina after uh, Dylan Roof, after he executed nine black parishioners, did you hear any of them say literally that they would welcome him back to the church after the shooting? Yes, they, 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 uh, I heard the arraignment here that, uh, that there was victims, uh, relatives speaking, and one of them said they would like him to come to their church if he could. Others saying how they forgave him, and um, yes, directly from the mouths of the people who were there in the, in the courtroom. And he was on, I think, video link. Oh, okay. I remember the the forgiving part and all that we discussed. I just didn't recall if they said uh, they would invite him back to the church. You are aware that not all of the victims took that position, uh, that there were quite a few of them who said categorically that they did not uh, forgive him uh, and that they are totally on board uh, with him getting the death penalty uh, if that ends up being the case either in the federal court hearing or the state hearing uh, that's about to begin, uh, that this was not like a unanimous thing amongst the victims of the South Carolina church. You're aware of that? Yes, that, and that's good. Oh, okay. That, I, that is one thing that I think could have been pointed out. Um, I think that's something that is, in my view, a major act of racism, white supremacy, where they will consistently highlight and play the video that you mentioned before from the arraignment uh, that was hours after the shooting. Uh, they will really emphasize that black forgiveness and, oh, this is incredible and, oh, this is great. Again, not everybody took that stance, but they don't play those sound clips. They don't have those articles readily available. They don't play the video of that. These people are still alive, uh, and it's more than one. It's not like this is just one person or a minority opinion. There were quite a few black people uh, connected to that incident who did not take that position at all, but that just gets obscured. Uh, and the other point, even in my view, even if every single person connected to that event 
even if they took the position, hey, we forgive Dylan Roof, we're okay, he can come back to the church. Regardless, even though that's not my counter-racist perspective, um, I certainly endorse, number one, I recognize them as victims uh, to go through that, and particularly that video incident uh, that has, was widely discussed, and many people uh, had the same concerns that you've presented about that video, Dr. Welsing. We talked about that as well. In fact, Dr. Welsing predicted that was going to happen as well uh, when she was on the program the day before that hearing. Uh, but even if they all took the position of we forgive Dylan Roof and, you know, that's what our religious practice is, as victims of white supremacy who just went through a horrendous act of terrorism, I would have absolutely zero critique of them uh, for doing that at all. Uh, they could, you know, respond however they want to. I would even take the position they might not even be uh, in the correct mode of thinking after going through that level of terrorism, uh, the PTSD that they are going through. Uh, I don't even know how I'd be able to function. So whatever they're saying, hey, that's what they said. That's their position. Fine. I'm just going to give my view. Uh, does that make sense? What's your response? Um, I, I, I think that just um, infantilizes them and just reinforces um, the status quo. Um, this idea that because we um, may be victimized and we should um, wallow in victimhood and have no responsibility to um, to try and address the injustice and that our current situation justifies any action which we choose to take. I just don't agree with that. Hmm. Okay. I'm certain wouldn't be doing this program if I had taken the position uh, that, you know, this problem, uh, we should just pay, be resigned to wallow uh, in victimhood. But what I am saying, just to make sure that I'm being clear, uh, what I am saying in this case, I think, uh, I don't know, have you ever had Anyone be shot and killed like that in a church or been in the environment yourself where you saw the shooting or lost a loved one in an event like that, similar to what happened in Mother Emanuel AME? No, I haven't, no. Okay, I haven't either, so I don't know uh, how I would respond and if I would be in my right mind. But I do think uh, that one of the things I see as being par for the course is a lack of uh, sympathy for black people, regardless of what, how the system has abused and terrorized black people. I see that pretty consistently, uh, and I even felt that that happened to some degree with what happened with this, the Charleston incident. Uh, but I did want to highlight, you said that you felt like... Hang on one second, hang on one second. I'll let you respond. I just, I want to make this point. I thought it was extremely important. You said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but use the term infantilizing uh, these black victims at the Charleston AME Church. Uh, to say that they're victims and however they respond, they are allowed to have that response and I'm not going to critique it or admonish them for it, even if it doesn't advance our causes. I find it interesting that you use the word infantilize because in the same essay that we've been discussing about why most Africans in America deserve a Trump presidency, you write, when push comes to shove and the spit is running down their faces, will Africans in the U.S. grow up? It sounds like there is already a perception that you have of us that we are children or not grown up. It seems like that's already there, this, us being infants of some sort. Well, I think this was, um, these critiques weren't, um, they, were, they were focused on issues in the U.S., but this is behavior you see um, across the piece. I mean, I wanted to um, just highlight a difference of opinion that I, I, I certainly people can be, um, behave and respond to a situation however they want. I just simply don't um, view that it, A, that it should be beyond critique, and B, I also don't view that because you haven't experienced specific individual things such as, um, I don't know, a relative being murdered in the church, that uh, then that 
individuals shouldn't um, comment things because otherwise it'd be very difficult for us to comment on many, many things that happen in the world. And I, I, just, I just simply don't um, think that our behaviour should be all on critique simply because we uh, ex- experience um, oppression because otherwise we'll never, ever be able to change our situation. We have to be able to critique behaviour. We have to be able to say we must do better in this and that situation, in my view. Okay, okay. Um, Finally, in that segment that I played from your podcast where you were talking about the, I guess, disregard that some of the black victims, black people in the state specifically, uh, have for victims who've been killed by enforcement officials that, you know, hey, we'll just, we'll get our compensation and then we can, we can move on from this issue. To me, it just seemed like the same pattern of widespread generalizations. I don't, I'm very, very sure uh, that every, all of the many, many victims of police terrorism in all its forms, I'm quite sure that a lot of these folks, probably even the majority of them are not getting fat checks or their families after they have been raped sodomized, tased, choked, shot, whatever the case is. I don't think Khalif Rauder or his family got any, you know, massive payout uh, where they can just kick up their feet and live in the hills. To me, it just, again, it seems like that same pattern of kind of having an, an air of condescension and how we talk about generalizations that I think are, are condescending uh, and, in my view, kind of drastically misrepresent uh, the experience and thoughts, expressions of black victims of racism, specifically uh, in the United States, because that's also a part of the pattern, uh, not getting a check. And then I also have heard a lot of victims who have been very clear that they're not on board about forgiving. I know Eric Garner and his family, they have been very clear about that still to this day. We are not on forgiveness and challenging racism, white supremacy to the best of their ability. And I think quite a, other, quite a few other victims' families have taken that path as well. Uh, what's, what is your response? That's, that's good if they have done that. Um, I think what I was highlighting, some of the high-profile cases, because obviously it's the ones that, it's the killings that are most problematic, um, the ones that are videoed, the ones that uh, receive the most video attention, the most attention because they are most problematic for the criminal justice system to, to manage. They're the ones that get the highest profile and where the injustice is, is more palpable, where you're likely to get large compensation checks. And those are the ones where um, there is more incentive for people to play down the, the obvious race about uh, this has got nothing to do with um, race as a precursor to a, um, to a larger settlement. And sometimes some of these lawyers are actually actively... Um, seeking to encourage families to settle rather than to actually um, push hard for um, prosecution. And the whole tone, when you listen, I think Benjamin Crump and some others, when you listen to the tone of what they're saying, is not really so much focused on this to be indicted and tried for murder, um, more talking in a different kind of tone, more of a compensatory tone, and and herbs me. Hmm. Okay. That, I guess just for me, I'm, I'm aware of Benjamin Crump. I've heard a lot of black people in the States who are very critical of Benjamin Crump and his involvement in different cases. Uh, Trayvon Martin, I think most notably. Um, Benjamin Crump is not involved with the vast majority of cases involving black no, people. No, no. Uh, hang, hang on one second. Hang on. I, I understand you were just using that in, as an illustration, but that's what I'm saying. It seems like uh, a pattern of taking examples 
uh, anecdotal examples to make a broader point generalization about black people in the states when I'm consistently submitting. I don't think these uh, examples are representative uh, of black people on the whole. It seems to be a part of that same pattern of presenting black people as a monolith. And and to be quite blunt to you, some of the words that you use, uh, a monolith of self-hating, cowardly Negroes. That's kind of the pattern that it seems to come across. Well, that's, you're entitled to your view, and I'm happy to, for us to agree to differ. For sure. These are the terms, though. I, I just want to point out for <laughs> listeners, uh, my opinion is best based on the exact terms and sentences that are in the report. So there's a very literal uh, basis uh, sub- to substantiate what I'm saying. But again, I could be in error. And for sure, I would also make sure I get in a lot of listeners in the states, black people in the states, would wholeheartedly endorse your view. I want to make sure I'm clear about that. Some of them might call in. Mr. Grant, go ahead. No, I was just say I just encourage people to read for themselves, and they can make up their own minds. So, I, I, you know, I'm quite happy for people to read the articles, uh, listen to podcasts, and they can make up their own minds as to what they feel about them. Okay, uh, we'll get to some of the callers who dialed in, see if they have uh, an opinion on uh, what they've heard in the conversation. The number again: six four one seven one five three six four zero, and the code is five six four nine four three pound press star six if you would like to participate uh the person who dialed in uh zero nine nine zero did you have a question for mr paul if i grant you should be with us yes i do gus uh, hello uh, mr grant hello to gus um i have a uh, two questions for mr grant if that's possible gus i kind of missed the last part you said you had two questions and what else Yes, uh, I have two questions for Mr. Grant. Uh, can I be heard? Oh, yes, ma'am. Let's hear them. Okay, perfect. Um, so my first question for Mr. Grant is, um, he stated earlier in the program um, that black people in the U.S. in the 20s uh, switched from the Republican to the Democratic Party. So my question is, uh, why do you think that switch occurred? Can you just repeat the question again, please? Hello. Uh, yeah. Um, can, can you can you hear me, sir? Yes, yeah, just quickly the line. Sorry. Okay. My apologies. All right. Um, I said earlier you stated um, that black people in the U.S. in the twenties uh, switched from the Republican to the Democratic Party. Um, my question to you was, why do you think that switch occurred? Why do you think that switch happened? Um, I think that. Um there's probably a number of facts. I wouldn't say that I have a sort of definitive response, but I think certainly as you got into the sort of um, uh, Great Depression years and when Roosevelt took over as um, as president, um, you know, he, he put in the New Deal and he put in a number of measures which were um, targeting um, or trying to assist poorer people in general in response to the... Um, you know, to, in response to the economic depression that started in the sort of late 1920s, went on all through the 30s. And I think the Democratic Party went through some some change and some of the responses which used were probably more beneficial to um, Africans who were probably poor um, than, the, um, than the responses of the Republican Party. So I think his, probably his presence some part in that and also the economic context that was taking place at that time and also of course you have migrations that 
is that people moved from the south and moved um, to the to urban areas of the north. And I think the um, the Democratic Party in the north had a slightly different tone than what you they called the Dixiecrats in the in the south. So I think there's probably a, a, a combination of reasons why that took place. Got it. Um, and then my last question to you is: uh, Do you think that um, black people can uh, expect anything different? from um, President-elect Trump than we received um, from any other Democratic president in the past? I mean, there will always be nuances and differences between um, presidents because they're they're different people and things change. So there will be certainly a a, a much harsher rhetoric from Trump. Um, I think that he, um, certainly if if he appoints Rani, uh, as Attorney General, when you look at his track record in New, in New York, then certainly the uh, criminal injustice system will not get any better and it's likely to get worse when you look at the target out. Um, so I think that's that's key. So I think that um, he's, he's likely to be less, um, quote-unquote, radical than people talking about that he likes parts of Obamacare and and to, to, and the president in and of themselves doesn't um, dictate all policy. A lot of it depends on who they appoint as their key advisors. And some of his appointments are, are, are kind of quite contradictory. Some of them are Republican insiders. Some of them, um, I think it's Steve Bannon from Breitbart, are from the so-called alt-right, so it's quite hardcore white supremacists. So I think once we the people he's appointed, um, key economic advisors, um, you know, all the key posts. Once I think all those posts are appointed to, we'll have a better idea as to what deliver. But I think it certainly won't get any better. Um, but on on the flip side, I think in foreign policy terms, he may actually be less less green than uh, Hillary Clinton would have been. So I think we'll have to see what the, the final cabinet looks like. Um, before we'll have a, a really clear idea as to what he's do. Okay, thank you, Mr. Grant. I appreciate it. Thank you, Coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. The caller at 1842, did you have a question for Mr. Grant? Uh, the caller, 1842, last four digits, 1842. Did you have a question or are you just listening? Can I be Yes, ma'am, your volume is a little low. Okay, one moment, I apologize. Is this better? Yes, ma'am. Okay, wonderful. Greetings, everybody, um, and thank you for coming on the show and answering some of our questions. Um, I read the article, and it had wonderful information, like packed with a lot of information. Um, I'll check out some of the links. I haven't had an opportunity yet, but jam-packed with info, and I appreciate that. Um, I know you've been on the show before, I'm slightly new to the cows and to counter-racist thinking and codification, um, and I haven't heard you speak before, so you might have answered these questions before, but, um, and I only have a couple, like most of them are yes or no, um, but do you have a definition for racism? Uh, yeah, I uh, definitely the philosophy, ideology, um, and um, religion, which um, defines people classified as white as being um, dominant, having the right to mistreat people they classify as non-white. 
Okay. And then would you say that you have a thorough understanding of racism, white supremacy? Um, I, I, I don't know who in comparison to. Um, I have some understanding. I'm sure there's areas I don't understand. So I, it, it's a comparative type of question, I think. So I don't know. I mean, I think people would be better to judge for themselves on what I say um, in their own opinion. So it would really depend on who you're comparing my understanding to, I think. And I'm not trying to be evasive. That's just my honest opinion. Okay. Um, and then my next question, and then I'll just move into the, the one following, is if you would say that you had a thorough understanding of racism and white supremacy, did you, do you write always from that? Do you speak from that? And did you write this article from that understanding? Um, but based off of your answer, I would assume that the answer is yes. And then my final question is, um, if so, do you really believe that, you know, and this is before Gus spoke, like I wrote, read the article last night and I wrote these questions last night. Um, do you really believe that name calling and victim blaming is any different from so-called Negroes economic or political impotence, which I maintain is the same for all nine, all non-white black people, victims of racism, white supremacy in the globe alive, um, but also evidenced by um, our ease in victim blaming and name calling. So pretty much saying that they're one and the same to, to our so-called impotence over here economically and politically um, is to me, as far as I understand, and what I'm looking at, I'm asking you if you feel the same as the ease of other non-white black victims around the world, victim blaming and name calling. Does that make sense? It, it, I think so. it's a very long question, um, so, so I'll, I'll attempt to answer and you can probably um, come back if you need sort of clarification of bits I've missed that. I, I, I think my perspective would be um, uh, a person or we or collectively or individually may not be responsible, may, well, may not be to blame for getting knocked down, but we are responsible for getting up. And I suppose um, different to perhaps some people who may be... Um, uh, who has perhaps seemed to be more codified, I, I emphasize and try to emphasize the responsibility side of the equation because I believe that's where the solutions will come from when we take responsibility for action. So we, we may acknowledge that we are, have been victimized to some degree, but we also recognize that we have individual human agency and that we can change circumstances and we can respond positively to circumstances and take decisions that are difficult. So that's why I emphasize. Um, so when people... so. It may be perceived as victim blaming. I, I, I see it more about saying, what do we need to change things? Um, you know, if we carry on doing what we've always been doing, obviously we'll get the same results. So I emphasize the need to change our behavior. Does that, is there more clarification needed? Um, uh, perhaps just a little bit. I think it seems so much like it's victim blaming the article, and that's the only one that I've read. Um, because of so much name calling, and it does seem like just like a distaste or like a dislike of the non-white black people here in the United States and what we're either doing or not doing or how we're doing it. And like it doesn't have like your piece lacks compassion for it appears to lack compassion. Um, and I wasn't sure if that was really constructive or not, especially because there is so much other constructive information. But as a non-white black female here in the United States, um, reading it, it just seemed like you just don't like us. And I wasn't sure if you felt that that was constructive for, you know, your work. 
or, or any different, like to, you know, victim blame or name call in the way that you do in the article, any different from us being confused about how to respond in certain situations or who to vote for. But thank you for answering my call or my question. Did I just make me to make a brief response? Or is that okay, Gus? What do you want me to do? Uh, if it can be concise, I'm going to try and get to some of our next callers too, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'd say just um, you could probably judge the um, the whole body of my work. So read more newsletters if you can afford to read the book. So I think yeah, I'd say judge a, judge a writer on the the body of their work, and then and then you make your own opinion, which is fine. Right on. Uh, the caller at four seven eight nine four seven eight nine. Did you have a question for Mr. Paul Ifaomi Grant? Uh, yes, uh, Mr. Grant. I was wondering if you had been to the, the U.S. I've, I've been to the U.S. I stayed with um, a friend in Los Angeles a couple of weeks. Okay. That was um, probably about 12 years ago. Okay. Um, my last question my last question is, um, what do you think, because I haven't had the opportunity to read your work, but I will uh, after this, um, I was just wondering, what do you think the the major behavioral change needs to be um, for uh, black people in the U.S. to 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 solve this problem? Thank you. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, first thing I would say, well, well, answer quick. I just want to preface it by saying that um, there seems to be a sentiment of feeling that um, attacking Africans in the United States. If people had read the body of my work, they'd probably think I'm in the UK or in Africa or anywhere else. So I'd encourage people to, um, it may not change your view of it, but I think it might change this feeling that I'm particularly attacking uh, Africans in the US, which I think is um, a false understanding in terms of um, my work. I've no more particular criticism of Africans in the US than I do of Africans anywhere else. In terms I think the, the the first thing is to recognise that um, we are under attack and that attack is not going to change. So, which means that we have to um, we have to be focused on working with people who want to change and overturn the system. And we we don't have any friends. And I think that's one thing I'd also say. We look for alliances, and there's a saying: no such thing as permanent friendships, only permanent interests which means that we only with people to achieve specific goals in terms of other groups of people, rather than having this naive idea that there are groups of people who want to change our situation, which they don't. So first thing is that we need to recognise that we are under attack, and this attack has been going on for thousands of years. And um, the only way that we can change our situation is to neutralise um, the power of Europeans, because they're not unfortunately going to change because they don't believe in win win they believe in win lose i'll assume that answered caller's question uh the caller at two nine six zero two nine six zero did you have a question for mr grant caller at two nine six zero did you have a question for mr grant or are you just listening hmm Two nine six zero. Checking one more time. Are you two nine six zero? Not hearing. I don't. 
Hold on, I gotta. Oh, we can get hear you. In a quiet yes. spot. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Hold. Getting to a quiet spot. <laughs> Let's see. Hopefully, it won't take too long. Uh, if other folks don't wally gag again, Mr. Grant won't be with us for the full uh, two hours, so you have about ten minutes. Uh, so, if you have a question, dial in now. Six four one seven one five three six four zero. The code is five six four nine four three pound press star six if you would like to participate uh do you need a little more time uh princess hmm seems she might need a little bit more time um in the interim uh while we're waiting you did say i think earlier in the program that there were times uh, even now you're still learning i'm still learning about racism white supremacy so uh at any point in your life uh, when you were lacking some of the insight that you have now about racism, white supremacy, and what you should be doing or not doing as a black male, at any time when you were lacking that information, I think it would be you know, logical to say that you were a little bit confused at that time since you were missing information. I still am. Um, do you think it would be logical to someone to say, well, hey, you deserve to be uh, further subjugated by the system of white supremacy because you were lacking that information you didn't know the correct thing to do or not do? Um, f- further subjugate. I don't. I don't think anyone ever um, said that to me, or necessarily um, should have said that to me. And I don't think that people deserve to be further subjugated. Okay. Do you think one could uh, get that sense from reading your report that black people uh, deserve whatever happens under the system of white supremacy with the Trump administration? Black people in the U.S. specifically. Um, someone might, if they don't recognize the piece, um, they might do, but they would be, um, it might be a mistake. Hmm. Uh, I have read Mr. Grant's, uh, work. I've read more than one of his book. We've talked about uh, them on the program before. There's archive evidence. I read this report and I've listened to some of his, uh, podcasts. That was the distinct impression that I was left with, uh, reading the report months ago and then rereading it again in preparation uh, for the essay, and it wasn't even anything that stunned me about, you know, Mr. Grant. I talked to him before I'd read his, uh, his work and found it very informative, but to me it's just there's a general pattern of this sort of uh, contempt and talking down to black people, uh, even amongst other black people, uh, where it's just, I would almost expect it to be presented as black people are dumb and ignorant and cowards. That is one of the most uh, popular bits, I would say, of rhetoric uh, often from uh, black people who say that they're working against racism. Uh, David Banner just did a report uh, where he was saying that he's so excited and he thinks the Trump presidency will be great for black people. And he's another person who's come out and said the same thing, that black people are lames and cowards, and that's why this problem uh, continues to exist. Uh, the game, these are entertainers. These aren't even scholars. But, I mean, it's it's very, very popular uh, across the board, this sentiment that black people, and I only hear it apply to black people, I don't hear it apply to any other group of non-white people in the world where something about black people, because we're so stupid, we're so cowardly, uh, we so are in love with whites that we deserve whatever happens uh, to, of, to us, however that is manifested. I even remember Jonathan Farrell, if people remember the black uh, 
young black male. He was in his early 20s. He was shot and killed in uh, 2013 in North Carolina. He had a vehicle accident, no drugs, alcohol involved, wasn't doing anything illegal. He just had a car accident. He went to a white woman's house for help. She called the police. They thought he was a prowler, shot and killed him. Nobody was uh, convicted uh, for the killing. Uh, we had people, this is on this program, we had people who called in and thought and or assumed that he was dating a white woman so he deserved what he got. And that's in the Cow's archives, 2013, that that happened. Uh, just, did you want to respond to that before we get Princess's uh, question, that this seems to be a pattern in just terms of talking down to black people and saying they deserve what they get in the system of white supremacy? I spoke, um, are you referring generally or specifically to me, Gus? Both, really, because I'm saying what you're doing, it seems to me to be a part of a broader pattern of this sort of behavior. Um, as I said, you're, you're entitled to opinion, Gus. So, um, as I said, I'd encourage people just to make up their own minds by reading the uh, information for themselves. Um, yeah, that's what I'd encourage people to do. Oh, I, I know that I'm entitled to my opinion, but I just wanted to know, is it logical, the argument that I'm making uh, about your report? It's not even an argu argument, just my interpretation based on what you've said, what you've written. Is it logical? I, 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 don't, I don't think so, but I, I think also you have, to look, you have to look at the context of what a person's in. So if you understand the nature of the work I'm doing and that it's... Uh, some of my work is polemical in terms of trying to provoke a reaction, then I think um, lies what I'm doing. But if you come to that conclusion, there's many people who don't come to that conclusion. So um, it, I, I can't really um, speak for you. I can only speak. Um, so I don't agree with your characterization of my work, but you're perfectly entitled to your opinion. I haven't got a problem with that. Princess, did you need more time to get your question in? Oh, no, I'm, I'm ready. Um, I, I was over to my grandmother's house, and there was a lot of people, so I was trying to hurry up and wrap things up over there. But um, I, I haven't heard most of the broadcast, so, you know. But um, I don't know who the, I guess, the author of the article is, so I, I don't know if I will be repeating myself and asking are you from the UK, and um, if so, where is your family originally from? I, I was born in the UK. My, my um, parents uh, were born in Jamaica. Okay. Um, is it true to say that a lot of people coming from the islands or the Caribbeans already have um, uh bias towards uh, a lot of African-Americans in general? Well, as, as I said, I mean, I think that um, it's, it's, um, it's disappointing that people probably haven't read how they work, so they're taking uh, a particular view that this is some specific attack on Africans in the United States and that I have some negative or hostile feeling. That's, what, that's my impression. And that simply is not the um, case in terms of people from what you call the islands or the Caribbean. Um, some have a negative view, some don't, just like some people 
um, from the United States have a negative view of people from Africa and some people from Africa have a negative view of people from, from the, the Caribbean. So, yes, some people do that. I, I was never, um, my parents came to um, the UK um, when they were young, well, relatively young adults. They never had any particular contact with Africans in the US. So they had no particular um, view of Africans in the US and inculcated no particular negative view of Africans in the US. So I don't that, that um, negative view or view which is any particularly different from any other Africans anywhere else. Does that answer your question? Uh, yes. Um, I also was going to ask, um, I mean, if, you know, if that was the case. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, cause any um, uh, tension on, on the line, but I think um, as a victim of you know, of the system as well as someone who struggles with trying to uh, decodify it and not um, uh, fall into the trap of name-calling. Um, I, I guess I have a history of it. Um, so I'm, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm picking you, but it's just I, I've lived overseas, and in particular in Bermuda, and that's one of the things uh, I was hit with, I remember um, uh, distinctly um, a lot of uh, Bermudians uh, having this outright contempt for um, black people. Um, uh, they looked down upon us and um, always, um, they would always refer to the same stereotypes that white people uh, viewed us as in order to interact um, with a black person. Very seldomly did I come across a Bermudian that uh, kind of um, really took an in-depth look at black history. It was always, they referred to things on the TV and just um, broad, general stereotypes of, of stuff. Um, do they normally go into a lot of uh, black history um, in the UK or where you're from, even in uh, Jamaica, about blacks in, in general? Um, well, I mean, there isn't, um, we don't have well, historic images you had have in the United States. I, I took an African history course as, um, uh, as an adult um, in my late 20s. I took an African history course. So that was you know, taught by somebody who who I respected greatly in terms of his knowledge. I mean, there are courses which are run in the community, African courses. I said, like I said, you don't have the, uh, but, well, so much of the university bedroom, you don't have the historically black colleges. So, um, but I'd say the, the vast majority of people don't, haven't studied history in the UK as it probably in, in many other places. Um, so it, it, it's sporadic and in small pockets where, are, are delivering African history programs in the community. Uh, hang tight, Princess. We had one other person who wanted to get a question in, and Mr. Grant, as I said, he's not going to be with us for the full time. Uh, the caller at oh, nine, okay. the caller for sure. The caller at nine four four zero nine four four zero. Did you have uh, this will be our final caller? Do you have a question for Mr. Grant? Uh, yes, Chris. I'm just, I'm just, can you hear me? I'm sorry. Can you hear me good? Oh yes, sir. We can hear you. Okay. All right, I do. 
um, who in the U- who in the U.S. does Mr. Grant uh, see uh, in the black community who does uh, speak out? Who so I didn't quite hear the question. Who in the U.S. You're breaking up yeah, a little who- bit. Okay, hold on, hold on. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Okay. Who who in the U.S. does he feel like uh, does speak out uh, or does hold black people accountable? Any uh, thought leaders, anybody, speakers, or anything like that? Who does... Uh, who's- Gus, could you repeat the question to me? Comes. Who do you listen to? Who do you listen? Uh, black people? Do you listen to that are in the United States? Uh, speak about racism. Was that your question, caller? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Did you hear that, Mr. Grant? Or <laughs> Mr. Grant? Yes. Yes, I can hear. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, for example, um, my um, my friend who actually stayed with when I was in the US. Uh, Kidi Obiawadu, um, who runs Lib Radio, and I been on Lib Radio a number of times. I mean, Keely's written, I think, 29 books, and somebody who I um, listen to for the guests he has on his, his shows as well, people like Professor James, um, Dr. Pachutin, people like that, I suppose I would say, are people who I, um, you know, who I listen to. Um, uh, Mama Marin Barani, who I, who I know personally, uh, those are some people who I, who I um, listen to a great book. Does that answer the question? Okay. Uh, yeah, and I have one more question. Um, do you feel Can like... Can you the final question, Gus? Um... Yes, sir. Final question. Yes, sir. Okay. So, am I able to question, uh, ask the question? Proceed. Okay. Uh, historically speaking, in the U.S., uh, do you were there any groups specifically that you felt like did fight against uh, racism, white supremacy after civil rights during the Black Bear era? Were there any groups right. that you thought of? Um, well, I, I, I mean, I, I suppose the, the Black Panther kind of crossed over the, um, the civil rights era and the move, um, movement who were bombed in... Um, which city were they bombed in? I'm trying to remember. Philadelphia. Um, Philadelphia. Philadelphia, yeah. So I, I, I think there's lots of people who are on the, um, on the, on the grass level who are doing good work. Um, I don't dispute that. So I think they, they're sort of a couple of examples of uh, people who've been working, working, people doing things like breakfast clubs, soup kitchens, Saturday schools. I think all those kind of activities are all positive activities. Okay. All right. Thank you. You can mute my line now, because. Right on. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Grant. Houseofknowledge.org.uk. Really appreciate you uh, taking some of your time out, particularly traveling and everything, to come and uh, speak with us. Uh, really appreciate you uh, fielding uh, our questions. Thank you so much. We will keep an eye out for your work and uh, wish you and your family continued success. Uh, keep up the great work, sir. Um, yeah, thank you, Gus, for having me. And uh, I just wanted to you know, just reiterate that, um, uh, yeah, people, re- read the work for yourself, make your own judgments. I don't have any hostility at all towards um, Africans in the United States as a group. And, um, yeah, I hope people don't uh, 
don't think that. But, you know, you obviously make your own judgments, and I respect people's rights to have their own opinions. And uh, thank you for having me on the show, Jukas. I hope everyone has a good good afternoon this evening here, but good afternoon there. For sure. Uh, have a fantastic evening yourself, uh, Mr. Grant. We will speak to you down the road. Thank you very much. Take care. Good evening, sir. Context of white supremacy, Mr. Paul Ifaomi Grant joining us live from the UK. His website again, houseofknowledge.org.uk. Uh, say it again because uh, he was hanging up. Houseofknowledge.org.uk. Uh, you can check out that report is linked at Black Talk Radio Network, but I'll post it on our Facebook page if you want to read uh, the exact report that we discussed on the program today. Uh, why? Most Africans in America deserve a Trump presidency. You can check it out for yourself. Come to your own conclusion. Uh, I will say I suspect that there are a gargantuan number of black people that live in the states who would probably co-sign with Mr. Grant about the assessment of black people in the states. I just said David Banner just said that within the last 30 days that, you know, it is going to be great for black people to have a Trump presidency. And now we won't be able to run. And as I said, he has said this before. I think it's on one of the Hidden Colors documentaries that black people are just chumps. I'm paraphrasing, but black people are chumps. Black people are lames. And this is not me calling out David Banner or even Mr. Grant, because this is very, very, very common for the conclusion to be that black people are just suckers. Black people are lames. They're chumps. They're thick-skulled. They're cowards. How often do you hear that when the police shootings come up? They do this because black people are just cowards. And we don't go out here and show these white people. And we just take whatever they do. And we just turn the other cheek. You hear that every time there's a police shooting. So it's very, very common. I'm sure that there are a lot of black people in the States who would agree and who would shout Gus down for even raising a question about all of this. The only thing that I'll say uh, consistently, and I pointed this out for years, the individual, and I'm saying this because Mr. Grant and I had this discussion specifically back in 2010. You can go back in the archives and listen to it where I told him I'm not signing on to any of the Pan-African, we're all in this because we're black. And the pattern that I've seen, or at least one major problem that I've seen, is that the people that are on the black and I'm proud, Pan-African this, and just because you have melanin, we are all a collective or a race or a group or whatever it is. The rhetoric, the anti-black rhetoric is so strong uh, consistently. That's what I hear. Coon this, Uncle Tom this, Sambo that. Uh, I hear that consistently, and I've heard this for years. And again, this is not isolated to one person. I hear this all the time, and I've seen no evidence. That was one of the questions that I asked him about how does all of this name-calling and just having a general contempt and condescension in the way that we talk to black people How does that help us solve this problem? I have seen no evidence of that at all. And particularly when you factor in the anti-blackness factor, uh, this could have been a brawl on a lot of people's program. You know, how dare you? Who do you think you are? I mean, we could have it could have been really nasty. But that wasn't the reason that I wanted to have him on the program. I just wanted to ask questions and get clarification about all this. I'm just I'm totally in agreement. Yes, we're going to have to make changes in our behavior. Absolutely. The system of white supremacy White terrorism conditions grooms non-white people to be fearful, cowardly in response to racism, white supremacy. But that's the result 
of any form of terrorism. And no one else is stunned when you have a system of terrorism in place and people end up being fearful uh, about that, particularly black people who are the most vulnerable people on the planet have no allies, as he stated eloquently and repeatedly, I agree, no allies and subject to a hostile force. That is certainly a recipe for a lot of fear, in my opinion. I just, in my opinion, I think it's very important if we're going to talk about black self-respect. I mentioned Dr. Welsing at the top of the program. If we're going to talk about black self-respect and solving this problem and saying we have regard for black people, I think that should be demonstrated consistently in the way that we talk to black people. I don't think talking to a group of people that are being subjected to ongoing terrorism, and I mean like precision-crafted terrorism, should be talked to as though they're just lames and cowards and fools and thick-skulled morons and these these time these are the, some of the exact terms in the article i read them as we were moving through the program i just don't see where that's uh helpful uh and really in my opinion when you use that sort of language and you talk about black people in that way which happens all the time it kind of makes it seem like well maybe we shouldn't do anything if these folks are so ignorant and cowardly well, then, you know, they do deserve this. They should just hang out and, you know, forget trying to solve this problem. I think that can be a result of that sort of language being used. Words are very, very, very important. I will rest there. If folks have anything they would like to share, uh, you can feel free to do so. But we're going to have a pause uh, to go back, as I stated at the beginning of the program, Dr. Frances Cress Welsing. She was a guest on this program five years ago to the day. She was here for Thanksgiving that year. Uh, she did roughly a three-hour-and-a-half program sharing her views. Uh, Black Talk Radio founder, Mr. Scotty Reed, he called in towards the end of the program uh, to have an exchange with Dr. Welsing. It is incredible because it touches on so many of the issues that me and uh, Mr. Grant and I were discussing during the broadcast today. I'm going to just play that segment, the, the exchange. This is where Mr. Scotty Reed called in to get uh, Dr. Welsing's views uh, on black people who might be uh, helping the coons. What to do with the, he didn't say coons. I want to be clear about that. Mr. Scotty Reed didn't say coons. I'm just saying that because the, that was some of the language that uh, Mr. Paul Devami Grant used. But uh, yeah, it's it's in the same vein. What do we do with black people who are in some way cooperating with helping the system of racism, white supremacy? This is Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, third-generation physician, general, and child psychiatrist, author of the ISIS Papers, The Keys to the Colors, from the Cows, 2011. We had uh, one other person that dialed in, uh, Mr. Scotty Reed, founder of the Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, Mr. Reed, your line should be open. Did you have a question for Dr. Welsing? Uh, yes, I do. Um, greetings to you, Gus. Uh, great show, as always. Um, I have a comment and, and a question. Um, I like the way that you, Doctor, uh, were using the analogies, using the sporting games, uh, because I believe so much of the things that we face um, here in this country and globally can be um, more, I guess, simply explained in the terms of if we were playing a game, we have to know the rules of the game in order to become skilled at it. You have to practice it. You have to study it. So I, I definitely was identifying with the examples that you were using. Um, I have long looked at, at 
politics as a game. And it is a game that I feel that we as blacks here in America are either unwilling to learn how to play the game, uh, whether or not because we think the game is fixed or uh, simply because uh, we just don't want to learn how to play this game. And I'm just trying to understand if you can give me some insight as to why that is. Why are we so unwilling to learn the game of politics? Well, well, politics is, is basically the power relationships between people. You see, and for you to succeed in playing the power game between people, you have to be into who you are, who am I. You see, but we are always me, we. Are you understanding what I'm saying? If I'm always identifying myself with somebody else, like many times black spokespeople can't talk about the condition of black people without the next sentence jumping to the condition of poor people and all people. You see, I mean, it's nice to, you know, think about everyone, but charity begins at home. But we have difficulty. I am black. Let me focus on what is happening to my black self and the other black people who are in the same situation that I am, which is all other black people. But if I don't want to be black, I'm not black. Don't call me black. I didn't leave anything in Africa. If that's what is in my brain computer because of conditioning, then I'm not successfully playing. I can't play successfully a power, a situation of power relations. See, people who classify themselves as white, they belong to the white genetic survival political party. That is Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Greens, and any other group. They understand because their identity is crystallized. I'm white. Now, I'm in the Tea Party. I'm in the Conservative Party. I'm in the Republican Party. I'm in the Democratic Party. I'm in, you know, whatever, independent, whatever. But their identity and their respect for themselves at that level, I'm white. See, I'm not confused. I'm not Euro-American. I'm white. Now, see, we, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm not black. Don't call me black. I'm not black. Do you see? So when the game is just like in chess, it's the white side of the chessboard, and it's a black side of the chessboard. And by not knowing who we are, we're not even on the board. 
So we're not in the power game. We're just stumbling around in a state of discontent, not knowing what to do, and basically then getting mad at each other. You see, or fuming at each other, or trying to knock each other out of, you know, it would be like the black pieces on the chessboard knocking each other off the board. So you have a Tavis Smiley and a Cornell West attacking Barack Obama, or Jesse Jackson attacking a Barack Obama. Nobody is talking about racism, white supremacy. Do you, um, on Barack Obama, it seems to me, and this is my opinion, that he himself seems to shy away from issues of race. Um, case in point. See, probably, case in point. If, you're, if you were told, now, uh, buddy, if you you got a nice-looking wife, and you got two of the nicest looking children in America. Now, if you start talking about the wrong thing, something can get, something can happen to those children on the way to school. Now, we would hate to see that. We, you know, we have had assassinations of president. Wasn't it just the other day that somebody is supposed to have been shooting at the White House? Yes broke the window of the residence. Wasn't it a lady in a red dress a little while ago who she and her escort, her husband, walked up into the White House, were in the receiving line, and they never had an invitation? So all of those are statements, Mr. President, you don't have any protection. Do you understand? Now, you said you were going to talk about race. We don't think that that's what you're supposed to do. So there's no other black person on this planet that would be sitting up in the system of white supremacy doing whatever the hell they think they want to do. It's just like there's no black politician who is dependent upon white funds to run a campaign who is going to do too much other than what they are allowed to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, let me restate so and make sure that I understand. this is the situation that we're in, and which is why it is incumbent upon us as individual black people to understand. See, I mean, white power is not a joke. What's the Obama effect? When he took office, what happened to the gun sales all across the country? Am I making myself clear? Um, I, I do want to make sure I'm clear on one point. So it sounds like you said to me that whether it's mm -hmm. Barack Obama or any other black politician, that they can't address certain issues pertaining to race or pertaining to the advancement of black people because they don't have enough support from black people because they're not participating no, in the I'm political. No, they can't do it because they're not allowed to do it by white power. 
So you're just like a black person on a job. How many black people on a job can sign a petition about discrimination in wages? You might have one courageous black person who fights all the way through in 10 years. And once that black person files a complaint, the other black people space away from that person. Because they know that they can lose their jobs. And they don't have the courage to stick with the black person who filed a complaint of discrimination. Because people in charge can fire you. So I'm just saying that that's why it's important to understand the system of racism, white supremacy. What the system is and the seriousness of the system. This system hasn't run for 500 years because it's plain. That's like I saw a child in therapy some time ago, and uh, this child wasn't a little black male child, maybe 11 years old, and the parent mother brought him in because he wasn't performing in school, and they said he was smart, but he, you know, just wouldn't perform. So the psychiatrist, I'm the child psychiatrist talking to a little boy, said, sweetheart, don't you want to work hard in school so that you can help black people? And this little child said, no. Now, that was surprising because the psychiatrist would want the child, yes, I do. The little boy said, no. And I said, why not, sweetheart? He said, if you try to help black people, you will be killed. And he said, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, So I'm thinking to myself, IQ 265. See, now any person, I mean, can a black man drive his car, his new car, down the road at speed without wondering if he's going to get stopped and mistreated and possibly killed? owns the car. Oh, so I'm talking about, in other words, see, this is maybe why we do so much loud music and so much dancing and singing so that we don't have to think about reality. See, this racism, white supremacy is a war. It's a war for white genetic survival by whatever means necessary. And so if everybody would face that and deal with that reality and deal with the reality that when, you know, black man steps in his car in the morning to go to work, could he be stopped, an illegitimate stop, and maybe killed? 
So if we were focusing on that reality as opposed to the loud music drowning the reality out, whether it's listening to rap or listening to some church music, drowning out the reality of the precariousness of our situation, if we focused on that, then we would understand, well, Brother Obama, is he doing everything that I would like him to do? No. Absolutely no. But neither has any other of the presidents that have been there in my lifetime that I may have voted for. And this is why if we understood racism and understood that means me, And so how can I look at one black man is supposed to transform this whole system? And this is why I say we all have to understand. And by each person understanding and doing whatever bit they can do to help transform the system. And just like the little boy said, If you try to help black people, you can be killed. Now, was he right or was he wrong? He he was right, Dr. Um, Welsing, but I believe, though, if we are at war, and I do believe we are at war, that if we're going to engage the enemy, whoever he may be or she may be, then we have to go into it understanding that there's going to be casualties. and that Wait, so how, how many people do you know have that understanding? And first, you see what I'm saying? Many. In other words, I'm saying even just the understanding of the position that President Barack Obama is in and being determined just because he is a black man. I am going to go and vote for him in this system that doesn't respect him and it doesn't respect me, meaning you. It doesn't respect us because we are black and we are perceived as a threat to white genetic survival. So I'm not putting any more pressure on him than I put on myself. I know the spot he's in. Because he's in the limelight. I'm just in my house. I'm speaking for you as another black man. Because I understand the system. And I'm doing the bit that I can. See, understanding the system itself is about 50% of the problem. If we understood at the 50% level, See, it would be like the tiny minority of white people understanding that 50% of the black people in this area of the world alone are no longer deceived about racism, are no longer willing to attack each other because they are busy focusing on the problem of racism, white supremacy. And they openly admit that they are afraid to do so. As a matter of fact, it was just a big convention of black men all over the United States gathering to talk about their fear 
of the white man. And they're reported in the newspapers. There were reporters there from all over the world, and the reporters were asking what are they going to do about their fear. And they said, we don't know because we are still afraid, but at least we're facing our fear. That's sad. We haven't been able to face it. We've been talking loud, jive-talking, clowning, getting over. But now we are deciding to face the fact that we are really afraid. No, we don't know what we're going to do. We're just silently talking with each other, not threatening anybody. That's not the answer. We're just talking and confronting our reality and respecting ourselves as men. Now that would transform. See, it's nothing like people who can face reality and talk about it because that's the first step. See, it's just like understanding Racism, white supremacy, what it is, not sliding over the word racism. See, understanding that racism, white supremacy is a system that the tiny minority of people who classify themselves as white have evolved for their genetic survival on this planet in economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. What do they have to do? How many guns do they have to make? How many drones do they have to make? By any means necessary. Then, Dr. Wilson, I feel then that if they are willing to die to sustain this system of white supremacy, then we have to be just as willing to die to overthrow it. See, that's why they have black men calling themselves dogs and dancing around and calling themselves dogs and calling black women bitches Mm -hmm. because they have annihilated self-respect. Nobody calls himself a dog is going to be in a posture of self-respect to defend themselves or defend their families. See, this is, this is the importance of we've got to degrade them and make them like it. We've got to see that they call themselves niggers and call it a form of endearment. Because if I can make them call themselves dogs and call their women bitches and call their children bow-wows, I don't have a thing to worry about. Now, that's where we are. Sadly, I have to agree with that. But um, thank you thank you for your insights, and I'll continue to listen to the rest of the program. Thank Good you night. for your question. Thank you.
the late, great Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, cameo, Black Talk Radio Network founder, Mr. Scotty Reed. But that was five years ago to the day when Dr. Welsing was with us. And as I said, I think in that exchange, they touched on a lot of the same issues that we talked about with Mr. Paul Ifalmi Grant. We are going to be back. This is program one of two. So we will be back in two hours for workplace racism. It's Thursday. We don't take holidays and we certainly do not break from workplace racism. So we'll be right back. So if people have a quick, concise comment they would like to get in about Mr. Grant, uh, I will allow 10 minutes. I did have a few quick things that I wanted to share. We'll then get to the callers and that will wrap us and then we'll come back and do workplace racism. Everybody should have a lot more free time. You all have had your turkey and stuffing and whatever else, chitlins, uh, that you know people did for their throwdown uh, for the day. So you should have more free time to tune in and do something constructive. Uh, just the quick comments I wanted to get in. Um, I did think it was important. I still think it's very important. The widespread generalizations about black people that are uh, something derogatory about black people fault finding criticizing black people i just i think that's extremely important and that's par for the course for the system of white supremacy to just make broad sweeping indictments of black people uh even when it's clear that not all black people are engaged in the exact same behaviors regardless of you know whether we're talking about how we feel about president obama or how we feel about hillary clinton that sort of thing is is very typical uh, and that stuck out to me in terms of the broad generalizations even about the mother emmanuel ame situation uh that i talked to him about as well dr Wilson, you heard her say uh, that she was going to vote for Obama, and you heard her logic, she gets VGQ as well. President Obama has gotten as many votes for me as President-elect Trump. I certainly made you know it very abundantly clear, uh, my stance on President Obama. I was not in the group of worshipers that uh, Mr. Paul Ifama Grant was talking about, and I think a lot of other people were not in that group uh, as well. But just in my opinion... What Mr. Grant said about the need for us to change behavior so that more of us are not operating from an emotional perspective. We're operating with logic and an understanding that we have enemies. Whites are not going to stop practicing racism. We're going to have to stop them. I totally agree. One thousand percent. I think you can go about the business of educating black people and changing black victims of racism's behavior without calling them a coon and a coward every other paragraph. I could be in error, but I think... (laughs) <laughs> you can accomplish that without all of the contempt and derogatory language. And I've even I've heard that before people saying that they do that just to be provocative. I find it strange that the provocative attempt to lure people in has to be connected somehow to, again, putting down black people, which is a daily activity worldwide about the system of racism, white supremacy. Um, I also thought it was extremely important. I asked him twice, and he did not answer the question either time, if he could point out other groups on the globe, other groups of black people specifically, uh, who deserve to be mistreated or subjected to further abuse because of how they have responded or failed to respond to this problem. He could not, or he did not answer the question, and I asked him twice. I thought that was significant, and for me, that sort of thing would further bolster, well, maybe there is some sort of targeted animosity to black people in the state specifically. He says that's not the case. You can check out his work. All I can state is that reading that article about most black people in the states deserving a Trump presidency and even his comments about Mother Emanuel AME, that to me does not sound like someone who is in love with black people or black people specifically in the states. The last comment that I'll get in, that segment where he was talking about the Mother Emanuel AME and his frustration about the forgiveness, we talked about that before. Dr. Welsing talked about that. Dr. Welsing predicted that that was going to happen 
a day before it took place. I wrote about black forgiveness and the problem with that months before that incident happened with the Mother Emanuel AME terrorist attack and probable political assassination of Reverend Clementa Pinckney, state senator. You can do that without indicting the black people, the victims, the victims who are suffering and how they respond to an act of ghastly historic white terrorism. You can do that and call out the need for us to move away from forgiving uh, racists uh, without invoking terms of coonery to describe any black. I don't care who it is uh, saying that this coonery surrounding, uh, I guess just to make sure I'm being clear, any discussion around Mother Emanuel AME, in my view, I think that that should be something that we talk about in a very serious manner. Uh, and I don't think that that's one that we should use to indict any of the black victims in that case for how they responded. I think that's something that there should be uh, something sacred uh, for what happens, some sort of empathy for the black people who experienced that. I think you can do that and at the same time critique how racists are to blame for consistently encouraging us directly, indirectly to forgive whites for terrorizing black people there. And I am very sensitive to someone talking about that incident uh, and how black people, black victims respond to that incident where they're using terms like coonery. Uh, I do not think that is black self-respect. I do not think that is helping move us uh, to solve this problem. In fact, that's the type of language uh, and discourtesy and contempt for black life and black suffering that is par for the course, as I'll say again, for the system of white supremacy. I might be talking crazy. I might have underappreciated or misunderstood uh, Mr. Grant's work. I don't think so. Uh, if listeners uh, have quick comments that they want to get in before we wrap, feel free. I'll start with the people who didn't get to participate at all. Uh, retired firefighter in Florida, do you have a comment that you wanted to get in, sir? Uh, yes, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, Thank you, because I'm, uh, I'm uh, on the road driving. Uh, I got a Bluetooth, so, so I'm safe. Uh, very, very important talk on what you're talking about right now. Very, very important. Because I like to use myself as an example with that negative behavior. Uh, I did it for a while of, of indicting other black people, uh, using the term, uh, I don't I don't believe the term uh, 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 coonery or coons was popular during that time, but it was Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom this and Uncle Tom that. You know, when, when it's a habit when non-white black people get, get a hold of information that sounds favorable or uh, makes a little bit of sense to them, uh, and this is what I did, uh, instead, of, instead of focusing, keeping the focus, on the perpetrators of the global system of racism and white supremacy, it applies and makes it easy for what I was doing at the time, uh, it makes it easy to indict and ridicule uh, and practice anti-blackness to other black people. Because it's easy to do, it's easy to do so. There's, there's, there's hardly any, uh, any uh, pushback that that a non-white black person have, have to worry about, and somehow it's, it's, it strokes our, it's our, our, uh, our egos, whatever we perceive as being as such. Uh, but but I'm, I'm glad that I've learned to turn away from that type of behavior 
because it only it only uh, 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 further builds up the global system of racism, white supremacy, and I strongly suspect that white people know that this behavior goes on and know that that, that is the desired result of this type of behavior. Uh, so those, those are basically my, 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 and I still hear it a lot today. I still hear it a lot today when you look on uh, the YouTube, on YouTube, and even some, some other people who I won't mention that were in the past some of your guests have been using this, using uh, that type of uh, practice on almost a consistent basis. Uh, 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 a coon show. Uh, we're going to have a coon show, uh, that sort of thing. And, and, and as I mentioned before, all of us have been in this type of position. And individually, to the system of racism and white supremacy, can be threatened and threatened effectively. But some of us think that we're in a different situation and, and, and uh, unfortunately take that turn into uh, indicting other, into name-calling other black people as, as opposed to focusing on the global system of racism, white supremacy, and the white people that practice it. That's all I have to say. Thank you. For sure. Uh, other folks who dialed in, uh, who had a hand up, do you all have any uh, commentary? 0990, Princess, uh, 1842. Any other folks who dialed in, you'll have a comment that you want to get in. I'll, and I'll emphasize again, I know there are a whole lot of black people in the states who would co-sign on everything Mr. Grant said, his assessment of black folks in the states. And Gus might get labeled uh, a coon, too, for my performance on the program today. I'm very aware of that. And I would su- submit that that's just a part of the problem of anti-blackness and how we view other black people, how we talk about this problem. Any of the other callers that you'll have uh, commentary that you want to get in? Hi, Oh, <laughs> y'all I'll wait. We'll do. No, go ahead. Lashes. You can go. Everybody yes, can get two minutes. Lashes. Yes, ma'am. Hi. Yes, I just wanted to uh, call in and say that I agree with your assessment about uh, Grant, Mr. Grant's uh, tone, and that all immigrants, whether they are black, so-called black immigrants, Hispanic immigrants, Asian, what have you, are all taught prior to coming to the U.S. to be mean and have no respect towards black-born Americans. And um, everything that Dr. Francis Rex Welsing just said in that audio clip is quite accurate. And the reason why such tone is, is geared towards black Americans is because people see that we are defenseless and we don't have a defense mechanism in play to combat white supremacy. And the same people who name call black Americans are also defenseless themselves. That's all I wanted to say. Appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> Princess, did you have commentary you wanted to get in? Uh, yes, I just um, uh, listening to the sound clip of Dr. Welding uh, uh, kind of put me in a, a stupor because I'm very much guilty at times of um being like that. Not so much like um like uh online so much unless somebody really, really uh takes it there with me. But I mean I've gotten better over the years but I just know that it I I shouldn't be uh engaging in that type of behavior and uh the incorrectness of it. So 
Um, I just have to do better um, to not do that. But, yeah. I can uh, submit Princess has done better. Market improvement. I think some of that is archived on the program towards black self-respect <laughs> and all of us doing better to watch our back, uh, anti-blackness. Uh, zero nine nine zero. Would you have commentary, ma'am? Uh, yes, yes. This is Kendra. Um, I just had a question for you. Um, do you think part of the anti-blackness uh, that we um, saw in Mr. Grand? Um, I think you referenced David Banner, and I'm sure countless other um, other black people. Um, I know you talked about Princess, and Princess talked about herself as well. Uh, might be frustration with other black people and uh, maybe their lack of action to do something about racism, white supremacy. Uh, so it kind of comes out in anti-blackness. Do you think that that could be a possibility as well? And what's your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Welsing, in 2013, we had her on the program, and she shared, I thought it was, uh, it was in the summer of 2013. It was right in the middle of the whole kerfuffle around the Trayvon Martin murder trial. And she said that our reflexive response to white supremacy, particularly as racists intensify their terrorism and abuse of black people, is to attack another black person. That's the easiest target. It's no penalty. It's fun. And we've been encouraged to do that. Everybody's doing that. Just attack, abuse another black person. That that's, that's what we have been trained to do. Racists lead us in the direction to just find another black person to blame for all of our troubles uh, and problems, what they're doing, what they're not doing. Uh, it can be logical. It cannot be logical. It's certainly not difficult to find a black person doing something incorrect. That's not a task that's going to take you a lot of time because of racists. But uh, I think that's one of the things. And I think at least my opinion, the counter-racist view is that if we want to go about the business of critiquing and calling out bad behavior on the part of black person, the black person that you know the most information about in terms of misbehavior and not doing what needs to be done to solve this problem is yourself. So anytime we get real excited and feel like, hey, we need to have some accountability, we need to hold some of these niggers accountable, get that mirror and start there. And I do not see that. We get excited and happy to critique other black people. We do not get excited and happy to self-critique. Charity begins at home. I submit that self-critique should begin at home. And if we're not going to come out and call out yourself, and publicly too, because that's how we like to do it, right? <laughs> to go at another coon, Negro, Uncle Tom, could be Gus, to go with them and how they are failing to solve this problem, well, then start with yourself. And I think if we do a bit more of that, I think we might be a little bit more patient uh, with other black people, other victims of racism, and seeing how we also uh, are falling short in solving this problem. And I'm just using logic since the problem has got to be here. All of us got to be falling short in some way, shape, form. When we start doing that and being honest about that, then I think we might ease up off of, you know, how we go at other black people and how they're responding to racism, white supremacy. But I could be in error. But just as Mr. Fuller has said repeatedly, sport enjoyed by all it's very fun, it's very easy, and that's one of the things I think we should be very mindful about minimizing unless the critiques are going to start in the mirror. Hey, Gus, when you say um, lack of self-critique has a lot to do with lack of self-respect? I think so. I think Mr. Fuller, when he says self-respect is being honest with yourself, hmm, Uh, I, I guess Miss uh, Kendra, she said she had questions. She made a comment. I guess she's satisfied. Uh, let's see, 1842? Yes, 
Right on. 1842, did you have commentary? Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. I did um, have something else to add. Um, I don't think that I was successful in making the point in the question, but ultimately when, like, I don't know how many people read his stuff, but I'm, I'm sure it's not changing the world. And I don't mean that in any kind of a facetious way. I'm just saying it's giving information, but it's not immediately tearing down racism, white supremacy. But when we look at change, like when we step back and kind of think about change, yes, there's change in, you know, having your blog and writing and people are reading it. But I think it's possible to posit that there's more change and a change of behavior. So if you were to stop name-calling and saying all these kind of things, the people that you come across and the way that you interact with the world creates a more positive change than writing a blog where you call all the black, you know, you name-call and victim-blame over here. But that's just something that I've been paying a lot of attention to, that change in behavior is more when we talk about the work and doing the work, not all the time is it how much stuff that you can proliferate on the Internet or whatever, especially saying things, you know, other people have already said, but changing your behavior, even if it's really, really small and just not name calling people. I remember just, and then, you know, to be transparent as well, two times on the cows, my first, like the first couple of times I spoke and then I stopped speaking for a while because the first one, I think I'd even said like, I think I might've been talking about myself, but I said Coonan and Gus called it out and was like, no name calling. I was like, hmm, never heard that before. And it intrigued me and I kept listening. And then another time when I got frustrated with the so-called black mothers of the movement, um, with Hillary Clinton and all that stuff. And one being an instance of name calling, the other one being a victim blaming and just how stopping that behavior, just stopping it has made an entire difference in my frame of reference and how I interact with other people, and also paying attention to the level of conditioning. We're all conditioned, all non-white black people, just all non-white people, but specifically non-white black people. And if we're talking about making change and we're talking about replacing a system of racism with a system of justice, then no matter where you are in your understanding, or he is, or I am, or anyone else is in our understanding, or of racism, white supremacy, there's still spaces to grow. And being okay with being called out is important when you call yourself doing this type of work. Like nobody is perfect. Nobody has torn it all the way down. In which case, someone reading your work but saying, hey, you got great information, but we're not so sure that, you know, name calling and victim blaming is the place to go. There's really nothing wrong with owning that and making that change by understanding that we're all in some way conditioned, damaged, terrorized, afraid, whatever, um, unless you just feel good and benefit by saying that's them over there. They're the ones who um, don't have it together. Me over here, I'm good. I have an understanding in my writing, and there's nothing wrong or incorrect with what I'm doing. Um, but small, small, small things make the world of difference for us um, in our state. Thank you for letting me speak. For sure. Uh, the caller at 4789. Do you have comments you need to get in? 4789. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I just wanted to say, I guess, um, really quickly, that I remember um, Mr. Fuller saying that, you know, like, white people like, are our teachers. And I and when I was listening to this whole conversation, I was thinking that they, that white people really do this a lot. They, they, they name call each other and whatnot. 
I think, like Dr. Wilson was saying, that they have a base of understanding that they're white, and we just don't have an understanding of our victimization enough or terrorism enough or the state of terror that we're under. That's why I asked him, like, had he been to the U.S.? Because I, I always hear, like, people that haven't been to the U.S. or or come from other places that haven't lived here for a long time, that they, they, they just don't have a correct understanding of the terrorism that people are under here. And even the people that are coming in as immigrants, I'll be interested to see two generations down. I mean, if we still have the, if we still have this problem, how will they be doing? I don't think that they will be in great shape, but uh, hopefully we solve the problem by then. But yeah, uh, that's my comment. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. I could have picked out other portions uh, in the article just to kind of, um, make my point just in terms of the tone because I just like I said this is very very common the generalizations and the tone and the contempt uh, for black people as this is an everyday all day activity President Obama on down uh, in the way that people uh, talk to black folks white people and non-white people Uh, but the portion this one stood out for many reasons uh, where he said I watched a video of Chris Rock speaking at a gun control rally and after openly admitting his political ignorance he went on to tell the audience that they should support President Obama's stance on gun control because he's our boss it was a really embarrassing speech and demonstrated the utter confusion of Africans in the U.S. just even a sentence like that number one where black people on the whole in the United States talking about tens of millions of people Chris Rock is the representative of our political sophistication. That is number one. <laughs> wow, I'm <laughs> I'm called. I'm really hurt for a variety of reasons. Um, but just that, you know, that sort of tone. I just don't think that that's you know helping us to uh, solve this sort of problem uh, to just have that level of contempt when we talk to other black people. I would I would hope, if anything, just as a black person, that's my experience. I feel like people talk to me like that all the time and have for my entire life that I specifically am ignorant and stupid because I am black uh, and black people in general, even if I am not black people in general, I are black people in general are. I might be the exception to the rule somehow. And that's another thing when he says most black people, that's the title of the article, most Africans in America deserve a Trump presidency. I never read content like that as though they're not talking about me. Never. Uh, I never take it as though I'm the accession as I am the special black person. And there's whoever it is, if it's Mr. Grant or anybody else that they're talking about, the other Negroes, if they could just get their act together and be like me, we could solve this. I never take that position because that happens all the time in the system of white supremacy. My stance, if you're talking about black people, you're talking about me. So if it's any sort of uh, critique or admonishment of black people, I just assume that I'm lumped into that critique. At any rate. Uh, workplace racism will be coming down the pike in about an hour and a half. I hope uh, people got some sort of constructive information. Uh, we'll take our last call, Mr. Uh, Ken Steele. Uh, last comment before we wrap things up. Uh, you have two minutes, sir. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, uh, one of the things that I noticed about uh, anti-blackness is that it's not just limited to um, our speech um, I think that some of the actions that I've seen um, uh, demonstrated by the proliferation of um, fight, so-called fight videos, I think that that's playing a large role in, um, I guess, a next level of 
um, conditioning black people. I think that we're being conditioned by these videos to um, harm each other physically even more. And I think that um, a large part of the reason why these videos are so popular um, is that, uh, yeah, um, they, sorry about that, is that, uh, yeah, they, they do play along this um, very potent string of anti-black um, uh, thought, speech, and action um, uh, by uh, the large part of the victims of racism, uh, white supremacy. And um, I just uh, want to say, uh, please, 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 please make it a point to um, uh, stress how important it is to uh, talk to our children as opposed to um, indulging in um, any sort of emotional or uh, or other impulse that might say uh, the best solution um, to deal with uh, frustration and dealing with our children is to hit them. Um, I think that that's a part of where anti-blackness may um, germinate from um, within ourselves is that experience of um, harming our children and being harmed as children by our parents. So um, please, 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 please give the anti-blackness uh, a break, and let's just uh, practice um, talking our way through problems as opposed to um, becoming um, violent or emotional when confronted with our frustrations. Thank you so much. For sure. Sounds like the... <laughs> Glad I am not in your area. Sounds like Thanksgiving went bad somewhere. Uh, I hope you are staying as uh, safe as possible, Mr. Ken Steele. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, for sure, for sure. Um, we will be back, uh, as I said, in about an hour and a half. Workplace racism. People wrote in. Um, other people out there are working. So uh, we will do our normal share, right? If you are around family and you have an opportunity to sit around with your relatives after you're, you've eaten or what have you, or while you're watching the football game or whatever else you're doing, workplace racism. Anybody here having any issues on their job? Listen in. Great opportunity to share. Uh, but that will be coming up 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. It's the 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Pacific, uh, coming up right in about an hour and a half. Uh, Asada Kirkland, I was reminded, Asada Kirkland, she was on the program earlier this year, uh, reminding us about that connection exactly in terms of how we relate to our children and conditioning them from an early age uh, about violence, conflict, and how we relate to uh, other black people. Very, very important. You can go back in the archives for that as well. Uh, I hope if anyone felt I was discourteous or rude in my presentation to Mr. Grant, you can let me know. Uh, we should not be criticizing someone or, or making an issue saying that anti-blackness uh, is being practiced and then being anti-black ourselves. He's still a victim of racism and he's done a lot of constructive work. Again, he was traveling. He just got back uh, in the UK and uh, literally pretty close to almost got off a plane and came in and hung out, talked with us for 90 minutes. He's a father, a husband. I'm sure his family would have appreciated him having some time with them as opposed to hanging out with uh, black people in the States uh, who are criticizing his work or at least asking some uh, serious questions. But thanks for the folks who tuned in. I hope it was constructive. Black self-respect, black self-respect, black self-respect. Anyone who has any regard for the work, the teachings, uh, the life work of Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, you should have major regard for black self-respect and how often she talked about that concept and really saying, emphasizing that that is central, 
central to us solving this problem. How we think about black people ourselves, how we think about, treat, talk to other black people. Extremely important. With that, thank you so much for tuning in. Even on the holidays, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. You just heard <laughs> the Bible, as they say, in Mr. Ken Steele's area. Sobriety checkpoints are going to be out. You already know that's how they get down for the holidays. So you do not want to be out and about on the road uh, if they recently legalized cannabis in your area or you got your uh, holiday drink, whatever the case is, you do not want to put yourself in jeopardy uh, over these here holidays. Uh, I would even submit sometimes the alcohol and what have you and relatives, all that can be uh, rather combustible uh, around holidays. Uh, But sobriety would be best. Uh, You do not want to have this be the time that you bump into Daniel Holtzclaw, Darren Wilson, any of these other race soldiers, badge or no. Whites are dangerous, and we should make sure that our behavior at all times reflects that war is being waged against us. I don't think a cigarette, a Newport, cannabis, alcohol, wine, any of that, I don't think it's going to help us solve this problem, name-calling either. With that, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.